Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude, delude you rather, with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you, to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, Might need to be unmuted up the back. Still in double duty, reading the Bible and running sound. (laughs) Is that better? There we go. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Um, Just a a little bit of uh, family news. Uh, when we, uh, uh, this morning at the 8.30 service, uh, we farewelled Gary and Jane Vanderzon, um, who uh, just for this season uh, are sort of saying, uh, we are going to move back to the church we originally came from in Eumina, uh, Hope Church. So uh, please keep them in your prayer. Um, pray that, that they would continue to grow in maturity in God's word and continue to cling to the faith in Christ. Uh, we send them off with blessing. There's nothing that's happened. Just, just they're sensing for this next season that that's where they'd like to be. Uh, so a little bit of news to update you on there. Um, it's a song from Hamilton, um, teaching them to say goodbye. Nicole, is that one of the songs? Yeah, you've, you've seen it how many times now? Only a few. That's code for like a dozen. <laughs> cool. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're a gracious, good God who speaks, reveals himself to us. Uh, We pray, therefore, that we would see wondrous things in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Tell me what you think of this. Um, I reckon for us as Aussies, we try to insulate ourselves from suffering as much as we can. True or false? True? True? Yeah, okay. So, for example, when I go to the dentist, I get like this, this horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach. Do you get that as well? I remember one time, Glenda's going, oh, no way, I'm fine. Well, all right, Glenda's going to embarrass me because uh, let me tell you about the time I went to the dentist when I was a little bit younger. I, um, I went and it was the first time I had to get feelings, right? Well, first time I found out that I had to get feelings. The dentist was sort of standing across from me behind the, the little desk booth thing. And I remember him saying to me, um, sorry, Dan, uh, we're going to need to put some fillings in. 
And um, yeah, it's not a big thing on the pain scale, is it? Except in your wallet. It'll hurt your wallet, but it won't hurt that much in your mouth. Anyway, he said that to me. The next thing I remember is being on the floor as I'd fainted. <laughs> Which, like, I, unfortunately, I've got a ton of these stories where I just like react very poorly to, uh, to physical pain and to medical pain in particular. The problem as well was when I, I fainted and fell over, I almost whacked my head on the coffee table, that was, which then I would have probably had to go to hospital, which would create another problem. <laughs> so I just didn't go to the dentist for like another five or six years. None of us like suffering, me particularly, uh, whether it's medical or it's, it's physical, financial, relational, emotional. None of us like suffering. And so I think for us, particularly here in the Western world, we, we sort of say, oh, I'll avoid it at all costs. Perhaps that's also true for suffering as a Christian, do you think? Suffering as a Christian. Uh, most of us don't like being rejected if we choose to try and tell someone that we're a Christian. I remember, for example, when I was back in uni, I had a good mate that I was talking about my faith with, and, and he just straight out called me an idiot. He thought it was idiotic that someone could believe that God created this world. Um, and, and no one likes that. That's not a fun experience. Most of us don't like the awkwardness of, or the, the social shame, as it were, of trying to share the gospel with someone and, oh, have I said the right thing? Do they think I'm crazy? They think I'm weird? Most of us don't like that. Uh, most of us don't like being treated with hostility or at least the possibility of it for standing with God's word on, on some of the big issues, you know, sexuality, marriage, um, the exclusivity of truth, that not everyone's right. Uh, these, are, these are hard things, wouldn't you agree? It's, it's not a, a pleasant thing as such to suffer as a Christian. It's hard to be happy about it. And yet listen to what the Apostle Paul says at the start of today's passage. This is just mystifying. He says, Now I rejoice <laughs> in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice. How can someone say that? What makes someone rejoice as they suffer for Jesus' church? And if you come down to verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that, that he, Jesus, powerfully works in me. And then verse 1 talks more about his struggle. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. See that word there, great? It is a great struggle, not like a, a, you know, overreacting sort of thing. Like Ross told me this morning, oh, 2020, it's the worst year ever, 2020. Katy Perry has just said she's delaying her new album by two weeks. It's the worst year ever. That's overreacting. Ross can hear me. He's in the other room. He can hear me. <laughs> right, this is, a, this is a great struggle, a great struggle. Um, sometimes he ends up in prison for the sake of the gospel. Imagine that. Uh, 2 Corinthians, if you go and read in 2 Corinthians, he has this big list of things that he faced. He was beaten, whipped, smashed with stones, shipwrecked, adrift at sea. Does anyone here face that? At danger on the road, sleepless, thirsty, hungry, often near death. How does someone choose to face that kind of suffering and struggling and yet still rejoice? And at that, for people that he hasn't even seen face to face. He's never met them. How does someone choose to suffer greatly and ongoingly 
for Jesus' church when he hasn't even met them and yet still rejoice? I think it's a good question. In fact, today's passage in Colossians gives us, I think, a fairly simple answer, uh, but one that we uh, perhaps are prone to forget all too easily. And yet it's such an important answer because this thing that Paul understands is something that every Christian actually needs to understand. Uh, Believing what Paul does here about suffering is the difference between living a fruitful, fulfilling, rejoicing Christian life, whatever the circumstances, and not being able to do so. It is the difference between fulfilling the very purpose for which God placed you here on this earth and totally missing that purpose. That is the importance of this answer we're going to see today. And look, if you, if you switch off for the next half hour or so and, just, you know, maybe it's a little warm in here and you start nodding off a little, just at least grab this. This is the key thing to grab, okay? The all-sufficient Christ is worth all suffering. This is what Paul understands to be true about suffering for the church. He understands that the all-sufficient Christ, that the Christ we've been talking about in this book for the last month, this Christ, the all-sufficient Christ, is worth all suffering. And the two things that will help make that clear to us in today's passage are that we'll see the significance of Paul's suffering and we'll see the hope that Paul has in his suffering. The significance, so... uh, what sort of what sort of his view of suffering? What's the significance, the, the purpose of it? And then also, what's his hope for it? What does he hope to see result from it? Those two things will help us understand this answer. So jump in with me. If you've got your Bible, verse 24, Colossians 1, 24. Uh, if you're using your phone, totally fine as well. Now, first, just notice, as we talk about the significance of Paul's suffering, uh, that he doesn't rejoice simply because he suffers. That's not the significance of it. He's not a masochist, right? It's not like he just, he likes the pain or that he, he believes the pain makes him a better Christian. Now, there are some people across history who have held that view, um, that if you suffer more, it shows that you're, you're holier. It shows that you're better, or maybe it makes you holier. Maybe, in fact, you've seen an image like this one before. So the first guy there has a whip. He's actually sort of also whipping himself on the back, bit weird. The second one, same deal. Uh, This is called self-flagellation. Maybe you've seen like a a scene in a movie set in the Middle Ages where the monks will be walking around, working himself on the back, or they have like a board, a a plank of wood, and they whack themselves on the the face. It doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't actually increase their holiness, right? It just gets them closer to like a nose reconstruction or something. This, This does nothing for someone's holiness. And that's not the kind of suffering that Paul's talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't just rejoice in, in suffering itself. He rejoices because of who he suffers for. Because we tend to choose to suffer for people that we think are important. Isn't that true? Like, for example, why is it that a, a parent will drive all the way up to Budgie Boy on a Saturday morning early in the middle of winter, right, to drop their kid off to a soccer game, and then half an hour later, they'll turn around and drive their, their next kid down to your minor to watch another soccer game. And kids' soccer games are not thrilling, okay? Like, you don't, you don't, you don't drive there with anticipation going, oh, I can't wait. 
Right, now, why, why would a parent do this? Top of the coast to the bottom of the coast? Because they love their kids. <laughs> because their kids' good is actually worth more to them than their own comfort. Uh, those of you who are parents obviously understand that. We will come to understand that, God willing, one day, as will some of us here. Paul, for Paul, the church is more important than his comfort. He loves the church. And so he's willing to, to suffer for the church and rejoice even as he suffers for the church. This is the significance of his suffering. It's, it's for someone. It's for Jesus' church. Now, in fact, the importance of the church is, is so great to him that in verse 24, and this is, this is actually really perplexing, in verse 24, he talks about his suffering for the church in the most striking way. Do you see it there? He actually talks about his suffering for the church in the very same breath as he talks about the suffering of Jesus Christ. Take a look at it. He says that in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So obviously we can hear how important this is to him. He's talking about the sufferings of Christ and his own sufferings and there's some connection. But at the same time, what on earth does he mean when he says that? <laughs> do, do you get, like, do you, as you read that, get a little bit confused or you wonder, because what's wrong here? Where he says, what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Just give me a bit of feedback. What, what does that sound like? Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, Christina says, it sounds like Christ's suffering on the cross is not enough. In fact, uh, historically, back in about 1343, give or take, um, the Pope released something called a, a papal bull, like an announcement saying, here's what we think this verse of the Bible means and here's what we believe as the Catholic Church at this time. Uh, and uh, they, they drew on this verse as one of their points of evidence for why Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is not enough and that you need to do good works to be saved. Now, were they right? Absolutely not. We know that, right? We know that that is not right. The reason we know that's not right, we can actually get from, from this very letter. If you jump back to verse 13 and verse 14, look in your Bible, verse 13, verse 14, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, says this, He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and there is no lack. Right, consider the image there. He's not saying Christ got you partway into the kingdom of God. No, it's a transfer from one to the other. And he's not saying you're partially forgiven. No, no, you are redeemed. You are forgiven of your sins. Why? Because Christ on the cross suffered God's judgment in our place. He took all of the sins of his elect people and died facing the judgment we deserve, totally once for all taking our sin away. It is cast into the depth of the sea. It is removed from us as far as east is from the west. God's word is so clear on this. There is nothing lacking, redemptively speaking, in Christ's sacrifice. Agreed? So what on earth does Paul mean? <laughs> in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. Now, um, I want, again, just to get a bit of feedback from you guys. What do you think he means? And I'll give, I'll give this little preface to it. 
if you go Christian scholars, you go and read the commentaries, and I have been the last couple of weeks, um, you'll actually find some difference of opinion on this because it is one of the most debated verses in Scripture. So chances are, if you're thinking something, someone else has thought it before. Uh, what do you think? How do you take this? What do you think Paul is saying? What, what's lacking and what, how is he filling up that lack? Be brave, someone. <laughs> yeah, Rhonda. Right. 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 Okay, cool. So so the, the body there, it says at the end is the church. And what's lacking is maybe that Christians aren't fulfilling their role on earth as a church. What what role do you think that is, Rhonda? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Um, and I'll just repeat that back because I know we've got a, a few people who are sick and on the live stream. Um, the Russells and the Plunkets run well today, a few others. So uh, Rhonda's just said, um, the, uh, we're the body of Christ, as it were, we're his hands and, and feet. Um, and we, we're here to worship God to make him known in the world. And maybe what's lacking is that's not happening as Paul sees it in the church. And so he in some way is suffering to help make up that, that lack. Yeah, thanks, Rhonda. Thank you. Christina. Cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. So uh, what Christina's just said there, if you didn't catch it, is uh, what's lacking is the proclamation of the gospel. The message hasn't gone out everywhere yet. Um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just making sure I've got what you're saying. And, um, and so Paul suffers so that the message can go out and more people can come into the body of Christ. Is that, is that right? Yeah, so under that view, kind of, it's not the propitiation of Christ that's lacking. It's not in his sacrifice. It's the presentation of Christ that's lacking, the preaching of Christ that's, that's lacking. Give me one more. Anyone else have, have another view? Yeah, cool. Thanks, April. Yeah, that's good. So you go on, uh, keep reading, and, and it tells us, verse 25, 26, that he, he aims to make the word of God fully known. So that backs up what Christine is saying in terms of presentation. Um, I think both of, well, actually all of that you've shared uh, has some element of truth to it. And I don't just say that to be kind. I say that because there are, there are multiple facets to this verse. Um, and uh, if you're part of a growth group, 
Dan, this week you're going to dig into some of those different interpretations and work out what you think is the most accurate. So uh, if you've got a bulletin, there's an article in that will help you do that. Um, let me give you just one possibility here from a guy named Sinclair Ferguson. If you've heard of him before, he does an excellent sermon on this passage. You can look it up, The Rising Cost of Caring. Here's what he says, and um, this is not incompatible with, with what you ladies have said, but maybe also just gives it another layer. Paul understands as he's been united to Christ, there is not yet filled up in him, so in his flesh, a fellowship with the sufferings of Christ, a union and communion with Christ in his sufferings. And this is going to go on and on in his life and on and on in the church until finally all the ransomed of Jesus Christ are brought home safe and secure to the heavenly glory. What do you think of that quote? I think that's an excellent point of view. Um, not to discredit others, but, but actually to add to them. What, what's lacking here? What's not yet filled up or what's not yet filled up is Paul's suffering with Christ as a result of being united to him, right? A result of being in unity with Christ. Um, and, and his life and his ministry goes on as he makes the word of God fully known, as he proclaims the message, as he leads the church. And uh, as he does, he keeps filling up that amount of suffering in himself as he shares in deeper and greater fellowship with Christ. So it's, it's actually relational. And there's nothing wrong there with Christ's suffering. It's not lacking. It's Paul's fellowship with Christ in his suffering that's lacking, that he now fills up as his ministry goes on. Since he's united with Christ, he will suffer with Christ. And this is such a key thing, such a key thing to understand about following Jesus. Um, Paul actually references it elsewhere in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, no exceptions. If you desire to follow Christ, you will face persecution. We'll put another way in Romans 8.17. Uh, he is a beautiful picture. He describes us as heirs of God, our sons and daughters, and those who will inherit all the, the promises that he has for us, all that are a yes in Christ Jesus. And then he says, well, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided, like if, we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. Do you see the, the chain there? We are heirs if we suffer with him and then we'll be glorified with him. Um, think about it this way, right? If you're in Christ, then you're uh, united with him. And it's like when you step onto a plane. Uh, none of us are, are going to be doing this anytime soon, particularly not to Queensland, right? Borders closed. Um, when you go onto a plane, whatever happens to that plane is now going to happen to you. So if the plane reaches its destination, Brisbane Airport or whatever, so will you, right? If the plane hits some turbulence along the way, what's going to happen to you? You're going to bump around. You're going to feel it. Yep. Um, and so we're in Christ. It's like being in the plane. We're in Christ. Uh, will we reach the destination if we're in Christ? Yes, we will be glorified with Christ, eternal life with him. But if Christ faces turbulence along the way, then so will we. And in the world today, there is a lot of turbulence against the name of Jesus. A lot of people who show hostility to him and rejection to him. And if we are in Christ, if we're in the plane, then we'll feel that too. 
uh, that the very hostility that people have against Christ and against God's word is the hostility that, he'll, that they'll show to those who are united to Christ. And Paul understands this. He accepts that this is part of the significance of his suffering, that he suffers for the church, for the sake of the church. There's a purpose to it. And it's with Christ, part of his fellowship with Christ. As I said at the start, I think we find it hard to suffer for the church and, and for the sake of Jesus. Uh, and let me just ask another question here. Um, what might be things that people do to avoid suffering for, for Christ and his church? What might they do to avoid that? Yeah, not share Christ with people like my mate from uni who might call me an idiot. Yep. Yeah, make it. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, share it in the, the like, just the gloss, the skim the top, just what sounds palatable. Cool. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, keeping quiet. Yep. Anything else? I'm not fishing for anything in particular. Just wondering. April. Uh, mm. Yeah. Good, good, good. Like it's not good when we do that, but you know, like good, good noticing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Cool. So I'll, I'll just repeat that back. Um, thanks, April. Yeah, the uh, perhaps compromising in areas of sin um, so that we blend in more with the world might be one way we avoid suffering for the church and for Christ. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Man, like what a what a horrible thing that that guy's given 10% of his income away to the church. Oh my gosh. Imagine what people think. You know, yeah, what an idiot, you know. Or time he's given up hours of his week. It's Sunday. Oh my goodness. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, second question. Um, what where do you think that leads for someone? Like where, where does it lead spiritually and in their walk with Jesus if, if they're avoiding suffering of those kinds? What happens for them? Right. So their, their values actually shift. They, they don't end up valuing God and probably also then enjoying God. <laughs> they value the world instead and, and its systems of thought. Yep. April. Yeah. Mm. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's temporary and short-sighted, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yes. 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 Gosh, yeah, what an insight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because because we just to grab that again. Um. Uh, uh, it, when we when we choose to avoid suffering, we miss out on deeper fellowship with Christ, which which Paul I think would absolutely agree with, wouldn't he? Because he says, "I'm united with Christ." That that means I'll suffer, and when I suffer, I rejoice because it actually helps me experience greater unity with Christ. Um, there's a great quote actually on your, your growth group notes somewhere there um, on the, the back page of it that, that talks about that, this, this cycle that happens as we, we suffer more but then have greater fellowship and then we put our necks out more and then we end up suffering more but then have greater fellowship. And So you can't, you can't actually stop a Christian from growing more deeply in love with Christ, can you? <laughs> Everything that happens to them actually just grows them in fellowship. But... but if we avoid suffering, that cycle is totally undone. Um, and, and so we end up having a, a lack of fruitfulness. We end up having a lack of love for Christ. We end up not seeing people come to Christ around us. Um, we end up being quite fruitless and, and stagnant. But, of course, what has to hold us together as a Christian is the very thing that Paul is talking about here. Uh, knowing the all-sufficient Christ, letting him be all-sufficient in us and with us and for us so that we are able to face all suffering for the sake of the church. Thanks for your insights there, guys. Um, I'll pick up the pace just on this last bit. Um, we've looked at the significance. We, we also want to look at the hope that Paul has. Um, and so just come with me to verse 25 and 26. So Paul says, I became a, a minister. Um, not talking so much about the office of minister, like, you know, Rob's a minister at this church and I'm an associate minister. At, no, he just means servant. Minister means servant. He says, I became a servant according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, like April was talking about before. This is his hope. His hope is that the word of God would be fully known. And just think about that word fully. You can take it one of two ways. Um, the first is perhaps here in, in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. The first thing there you might say about the word fully is, is the word of God in its fullness, leaving nothing out, right? Uh, so he says, we warn people, we teach people. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a church before where you've uh, been listening to the sermon, been listening to the message, and you just sort of think to yourself, I, I know they're talking about Christian things, but something's just Missing? Have you had that experience before? And often what's missing is, is what? What's usually missing? The fullness of the gospel in some way. In some way, yeah. The, the gospel is like half presented, but they're missing the other half. And the other half usually is something to do with sin <laughs> or to, to God's judgment or the reality of hell 
all these things that we hold to be true from God's word, but are left out, perhaps to make it more palatable. And usually it sounds something like, you know, God just wants uh, your best life now. <laughs> and he's a God of love and acceptance and he's just all for you and has good things for you. And you know, that's true. It's true. But it's missing out on the fullness. Um, God is a God of love and of mercy and of judgment and of wrath and of kindness. He's all of these things. And when you take sin out, I mean, there's no need for Christ to die. Why did he die if we're not sinful? Why did he die if we don't need to be spared from God's judgment? Why did he die if there's there's no hell to save us from? And so Paul says, "I, I don't shrink away from this. I warn people. I warn them. I warn them about just the truth of, of what the gospel is in its fullness. All of this about sin and judgment and, and hell, but of the God who is loving and kind and brings forgiveness through Christ. So that's the first part. He, he f- makes the word of God known in its fullness by warning people, by teaching them. Um, and we might assume here in, in Australia that people know the gospel, right? We're a quote unquote Christian country. We're not. <laughs> people don't know the gospel. They don't at all. If you go and, and ask someone that you know um, doesn't know Jesus, and you say, well, what's your understanding of what Christian, Christianity is about? I guarantee you'll hear one of two things. You'll either hear it's, it's an antique relic from the past that is sometimes comfortable for people, particularly older people. So it's like a crutch that people lean on, but we don't really need. Or you will hear it is a dangerous cult, an abusive cult. Guarantee you, you'll hear one of those responses. But they have totally missed what Christianity actually is about. And so Paul says, I, I go out to teach. I teach. I want to make it clear uh, that Christianity is about Christ uh, and this, this gospel that he's come now to bring. And so warning and teaching, his ultimate hope is that people would be presented mature before God. Presented mature. And what a beautiful image. Um, we heard last week that uh, we would be presented blameless, um, without blemish, holy in his sight. That's the image that Paul has in mind here. Someone who, the, the original language, the word presented is actually to stand beside. Okay, So it's like Paul saying, um, here's someone that, that I or that someone in the church has uh, brought the gospel to. And they've, they've been warned, they've been taught, and now they believe. They've turned to Christ. And then the, the teaching doesn't stop there. It continues as they gather as part of the church and read the word with each other. And they continue to teach. And, and now here they are in glory. The plane has landed. And it's like Paul standing beside them, presenting that they would be presented mature. And here they are at the end of the journey. They've made it. What a beautiful image. And God says that. Uh, sorry, Paul says, that's my hope. That's why I want to make the word of God fully known, leaving nothing out. Because if you leave stuff out, that's not going to happen. So there's the first sense, in its fullness, God's word in its fullness. The second sense, uh, verse 28, is to do with a word that's repeated there. Can you see a word that's repeated? Everyone, three times, everyone, 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 warning everyone, teaching everyone that uh, we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, and the, the everyone here is a sense of like make it fully known to as many people as possible. There's a connection here to the word mystery back in verse 26. Uh, this is the mystery. So he, he wants to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages, 
Um, probably today we hear the word mystery and we think of something like, uh, you know, like an Agatha Christie or a Hercule Poirot or something like that, like a, a whodunit mystery, you've got to solve it, or a Rubik's Cube. You know, you're, trying, you're not going to solve it, but you'll try and then you'll give up and you'll take the stickers off and put them how it's meant to look and, and all that, right? That's not the kind of mystery he's talking about. It's not a puzzle to be solved. And back in the ancient world, they would have heard the word mystery and would have thought, oh, this is like a, oh, this is a secret, mystical, religious thing that you only access by, by meditation and by uh, doing special rituals. And then you, oh, you've claimed the mystery just for the religious elite. But that's, again, not the kind of mystery here. Uh, the mystery is actually, I've got a book at home. It's called The Open Secret. That's actually what it is. It's a secret that God has and now he's made open. He's revealed it to those who know him. And the content of the mystery, what it is, we come back over to Ephesians 3 verse 6. Paul talks about this mystery quite a lot in this chapter. He says, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's the, the mystery is that the message of the gospel is for everyone, everyone, everyone. <laughs> not just for the Jews to whom it first came, but for the Gentiles, us, the Colossian church, right, who are full of, of Gentiles and that we saw in the passage last week were once alienated, hostile in mind because of their evil behaviour, but God has now redeemed in Christ. This is the mystery. He's come for the Gentiles. He's come for everyone, even us, literally on like here's, here's the Middle East, here's us, other side of the world, 2,000 years later. This mystery has come for us. The lid has been opened on the treasure box of this mystery. And, um, and it is a treasure. It is a treasure. It is of supreme value. That's why you get Paul using words like uh, riches, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or in verse 2 and verse 3, um, you see as you go down, reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So opening the lid of this mystery actually reveals a, a vast collection of riches. And think about it this way. If you've got lots of wealth, if you've got lots of treasure and lots of riches, well, you don't need much more, do you? Like you're secure, you're safe. Your future is made certain, it's sorted out. What about having the riches of Christ Jesus? What about having the riches of Christ in you? The hope of glory. Is your future secure? Absolutely. Christ is in you. Reflect on that. Reflect on the treasure of this, right? This, this Jesus that we've been talking about for the last month, right? Uh, this Jesus who, uh, through whom everything was made, Colossians 1.15. Um, in whom all things hold together, moment by moment. For whom everything exists. Through whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And who is the preeminent Lord of all creation? The one sitting on the throne. This Jesus Christ now lives in you. Paul says that plural, like to, to you, the Colossian church, to you, the church gathered across history, and to you individually. 
if you have faith in him. Christ in you. This is, this is the mystery that is now open. This is the treasure box that is now unlittered. Do you want wisdom? Do you want wisdom? Well, look to Christ in you. The one in whom all of God's wise plans have come to fulfillment. His plans in eternity past to, to um, allow sin into the world, but then redeem people from sin and make a new humanity in the church. Christ has all the treasures of wisdom in himself. Do you want knowledge? Look to Christ in whom you can know God. Do you want assurance? Then don't look to, to the assurance of having good health or having enough money in the bank or, or a good relationship. Whatever. Look to the assurance of Christ in you, the certain hope of glory. The plane is going to land. This mystery is so valuable. And that is why Paul cannot help but proclaim it. And he's willing to suffer in so doing. Because the significance of this mystery is so great. It is for the church who he loves. And it is with Christ in whom he shares deep fellowship. And his hope for this mystery, uh, this message is, is so great. Because he hopes to see the word of God fully known, nothing left out bringing people to maturity, presenting them before Christ. As many as possible. And the reason that he can suffer is because he understands this. It's that the all-sufficient Christ is worth all suffering. Do you know the Jesus that Paul does? Do you know this all-sufficient Christ? Is he all-sufficient for you? Do you have Christ in you? Do you believe this message? Has God revealed the mystery to you? Is the treasure box open? Do you know him? Is he your saviour? Is he your Lord? And I don't just mean that the preeminent Lord on the throne out there, but in your life, over every decision. There's no one like Jesus. There's nothing like his church. And it's why you have people like Paul and many others across history, Christians who have been willing to suffer with Christ for the sake of his church, to carry the gospel forward. People willing to, to face prison, people willing to face social stigma, people willing to be embarrassed. It's why you have people in this church willing to, to give up things for the gospel. Um, there's one guy I know just this week who is giving up his lunch break every Friday. He's just started giving up that lunch break every Friday to, to read the Bible with a friend. It's great. I was talking with someone in the 8.30 service who has been trying to share the gospel with, with co-workers and is copping flack because of it. She's willing to embrace suffering because she knows the all-sufficiency of Christ. This is why there are Christians who are willing to face social shame, willing to be rejected, willing to face hostility, willing to, to push through the pain barrier knowing the purpose, knowing that they will have deeper fellowship with Christ. It's why people give up more money, more time to serve the church. Will you give yourself for Jesus' church and will you choose to let Christ be all sufficient for you? Let's pray. And um, after that, if there are a couple of questions, I'm happy to take them. Lord, um, you are, you are all sufficient for us. We so easily forget it, but you are, and uh, we are so um, forgetful and so 
uh, wrapped up in the, the causes and concerns of this world and our own flesh. We trust you, Lord, to, to be all sufficient for us in Christ and please help us, therefore, to um, face and even embrace and, and rejoice in the suffering that we face for the sake of Christ and his church. Increase our fellowship with him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, keen to hear if you've got any questions before um, Rob comes up and we share in communion. Um, perhaps there's something that's unclear to you from today or something that you've just been brewing on or uh, maybe just wondering how this works out in life or a situation it applies to. Maybe a question you've got or that you think someone else might have. Any questions? Hmm. Hmm. Will you, yeah, will you give yourself to Jesus' church and will you choose to let Christ be all sufficient for you? Yeah. Hmm. I used to be a high school teacher. I'm, I'm fine with waiting and being awkward. But yeah, mate. I guess as you read this passage and thought about, all right, where would you be concerned about us as a church? Oh, sure. Totally. Yeah. But, but like, where would you be concerned? Like, oh, I'm not sure if this, like, yep. should be willing to cop that on the chin or not. Like, yeah, totally. Um, cool. So I've been a, a pastor here now for nine years um, since starting MTS initially and then going on. That, that's, a, that's, a fair, that's a fair number of runs on the board, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and I've seen plenty of change in this church. Um, one of the things that I think... Um, because like we can, we can talk about getting out there and preaching the gospel and doing more and all that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, though, ultimately, um, there, are, there are people that each of you can have conversations with about Jesus that I can't and that Rob can't and elders and, and deacons can't. Um, and probably as a, as a historical statement around the state of our church, over the last nine years, I would say it's a, a real minority of people that have been consistent at doing that. Um, and I think that the reason for that, it probably has two reasons. One is connected to maturity. So that the more we know Christ, the more we see the, the value of, of this message and the more we, right? So, so there's, a, there's a, a gradual maturing there that still needs to happen, I think, in many of us. Um, and I'm on that journey too. I don't say that from my high horse. Um, but also I think the other reason is just because um, people's opinions uh, and the things of the world just matter more to many of us than Christ and the gospel. Um, and I, I remember reading a quote actually from, uh, what's his name? Um, brother, it was brother, it was one of the brothers, Brother Andrew or Brother Yuan, one of these sort of a Chinese Christian who had faced incredible suffering and incredible persecution for the gospel. And um, he, he, you know, had been imprisoned. Awful things had happened to him. He once went to Germany and um, there was sort of the statement you sometimes hear go around that 
oh, well, when people try to share the gospel and get kind of rejected and have bad things said about them, that's, that's not really persecution. Real persecution is where you spill blood, you know, like, like Brother Andrew or Brother Ewan or, or whatever. He had that statement put to him when he was in Germany and he said, oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> like I would, I would actually prefer to face what I did than face constant hostility and, and constant rejection because that, it plays with your emotions in a certain way and it's so relational. Whereas if someone's torturing you, he says, you can, it's just physical. You, you, you can deal with it. Well, I know that just sounds crazy, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, but he said, no, it's real. It is real. When, when you're struggling to share the gospel with someone, there's the emotional and relational dimension to that that is significant. And unfortunately, I think for, for a number of us, we've let that con us into thinking that, oh, we, we just, we can't do it. It's too hard. They won't listen. Um, and we let it just get sunk under entertainment and, and whatever else. Um, so, so just to answer your question there, Rob, I think that if we are constant in taking part of God's ordinary means of grace, reading us the scriptures every day, most days at least, praying, gathering as part of the church, continuing to grow more in love with Jesus, that will help. And if we are um, not buying into the world's message that this isn't going to work and they won't listen um, and it's too hard, but saying, yep, the challenges are great and they're there, but I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I'll carry it out anyway. Any other questions? Any other thoughts? Yeah, Ezra. Right. Right. Yeah, cool. All right. Just to repeat that. Yep. Great. Yep. Okay. Okay. I disagree with that statement, but okay. <laughs> It seems boring or it's, yeah, cool, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll respond to you there, Ezra, just, just quickly. Um, th thank you, thank you. So, so what Ezra's saying there is, um, th and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, he talks to his kids about Christ coming and being in eternal life with, with God and it's, it's like sometimes the eyes just glaze over and it's like, what's the significance of this? Is this all there is? Um, yeah, yeah, look, um, there's a, I, I've shared this story before. Um, uh, what's his name again? I've just had a mind blank. Uh, Richard Baxter. Heard of Richard Baxter before, Puritan preacher, one of the most prolific writers in the history of the English language, actually. He's like four million words or something. Crazy guy. 
um, early on in his walk with Christ, he realised the very thing that perhaps um, the kids are realising. Uh, I just, I'm not excited about spending eternity with God. Um, and uh, for some of us, it's a bit like, you know, the Philadelphia cream cheese commercial that used to be around a while ago, where it's their angels on clouds and they just pull off the foil from the cream cheese and it's just all white and, you know, what is that? Are we standing around with wings and halos and singing and that's it? Uh, and so um, Richard Baxter sort of decided, well, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to go to the scriptures and I'm going to read and see every reference I can to, to why, is, why is Christ worthwhile? Why is knowing him good? And what are we told about what eternal life will be like? And he said, I'm going to meditate for half an hour on those scriptural truths every single day. Right, he's sort of a hardcore bloke in case the four million words didn't clue you into that. Uh, and so he, he did that every day and, um, and it absolutely revolutionised his relationship with God. Uh, it was spending the time in the scriptures and reflecting on them. He ended up then writing a book called The Saints Everlasting Rest that really just came from all of that, that journey. So um, look, I think that as we do reflect on who Christ is, and we spend time personally with him in prayer. I know I sound like a broken record on these things, but it's, it's the means of grace that God has given us. As we do those things, he does excite us. He does work in our feelings and our mind to become excited for the, the things to come and the things right now. So, uh, you know, what I'd say to anyone struggling with, with those things is open up the Bible, even if the cover feels like lead, and uh, read back through from the start of Colossians if you want. Who is Christ? Why is he worth knowing uh, what's coming and meditate on those things. If you can't do half an hour and I struggle with that, then start with five minutes. Start there. I encourage your family to do that, Ezra. Cool. We might finish it there. Um, Rob, do you want to come up and uh, we'll share in communion together. Thanks, brother. Well, I, that was really incredible.